Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. And address those things, and from that we sort of get this sampling of what early church culture was like. Lots of problems. Uh, So we have lots of material to work with from Paul's letters. And it's a good thing because we still have lots of problems in the church today because you and I go to church. And so, you know, each one of us represents our own unique set of problems that we're bringing to the table. Isn't that nice? Well, the good news is that there are a couple of letters that are written not to confront a problem, but to answer a question that is motivated by a pure heart and an incredible response to the gospel. So there's a a couple of letters, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, that are written to a model church. Like, these folks are getting it right. And so there's hope for us. We can get it right. We can be responsive in the way that God wants us to respond. So as we read through here, uh, 1 Thessalonians, we're going to start in chapter 1, start in verse 6. If you're already bored and you want to read ahead, go for it. But that's where we're going to start. Uh, We're going to see that there are these different characteristics or marks of a model church. We can put in parentheses like model Christian. So if you're wondering, like, how should I respond in the best of ways, you're, you're going to learn that today. How should we respond? If maybe you've been living the life of, of faith in Christ for some time, maybe you need a refresher of how to respond uh, in you know, a, a deeper way than maybe you have been. Because have you ever heard of people falling back into old habits and patterns? <laughs> have you ever heard of people who just, even though they maybe have a moment of faith and, and stepping into obedience, then from time to time, because the pull of the world is so strong, from time to time we slip away, slip back. And so maybe, maybe as we're going through this list this morning, maybe something gets kind of going in you and you're inspired to respond in, in one of these ways. So that's, that's what I'm hoping for. Shall we read? Okay, I got a nod and a yes. Okay, that's all I need. So starting in verse 6. So you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering that brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. So we'll stop there for a moment. 
Paul is going to go on and on throughout this letter and the next that just an incredible way that they responded to the truth. And he starts off with, you responded with joy in spite of what you knew you were facing. Right? You had a good attitude. You went for it. You, you, you were all in in spite of the mess that you knew you were entering into. Uh, just to give you a visual image, maybe this will help you. I don't know if you know my wife or not, but she likes to dumpster dive. I've tried to tell her, this is not for you. You got to stop this dumpster diving thing. But it turns out she's, she's very passionate about saving money. And maybe you think you're passionate about saving money. I can just tell you, you're nowhere close to where Heidi is. She's passionate about saving money. So we pay $60 a month to have our church dumpster dumped. And we're always on the verge, like barely making it. And if I have to make the call and say, hey, we, we just need a separate run, it's like an extra $15 charge. So it's 60 plus 15. So it's an extra 75 that we have to pay that month. And Heidi, she's not about doing that. You guys know the brand Fall Raven? Anybody know that brand? You've been to REI, the store here in town? And they have this brand, Fall Raven. It's a very nice brand. It's like an upper end brand. You have to pay a little extra. And she has this nice Fall Raven coat that it looks very good on her. So it, it's probably a gift for me. <laughs> and she, you know, I, I, I like it when she wears it very nice. And, and I like for her to keep it clean. But just this week, there she was in her very nice coat, digging in the trash. She's taking boxes out. People just throw boxes in there without breaking them down. Can you believe that? It might have been mine. It might have been the one I threw in there. I can't remember. She's in there breaking down boxes. And it, I mean, it kills me, right? It inspires me and it kills me. It's like killing me as inspiration. I don't know how that all works, but this is an image of being all in. So as we go through and read this story about this church or see the, the results of this church that's all in, I want you to begin thinking about what it would look like if you were all in. Uh, they have this joyful response in spite of the suffering that they're going <laughs> to receive. They know it's not going to be popular to do what they're about to do to become a follower of Jesus. They know they're going to face all kinds of adversity as they make this decision and begin walking in, in faith. But they do the difficult thing because they see the reward ahead. And that's, that's really a great definition of what, what Christianity is. A willingness to do the difficult thing because we know the reward that awaits us. Um, it's not easy to do the difficult thing. For example, did you know that in the United States, it's fairly easy to become a millionaire? Yep. 
It is. Uh huh. I knew there'd be some resistance on this issue. I knew it. All you have to do is you have to start when you're 16 years old. Yeah, yeah. You know where I'm going. And you just have to put a little bit of money in the bank, maybe $50 in the bank every month. Not in the bank, sorry, in an investment account where you're getting, you know, 8% or something like that, hopefully. And probably by the time you're, say, in your 50s, depending on how the market is going and so on, you're like guaranteed to be a millionaire. You know that? I mean, how incredible is that? Somebody's getting their phone out and doing the compound calculation <laughs> and seeing if I'm telling the truth. I mean, it, so it really, it's pretty easy, right? I mean, $50 a month. I'm looking out here, and I know some of you don't have great jobs, but $50 a month, we can do that, right? That's like millionaire, right? But it's not easy for a 16-year-old, is it? $50 is a big deal to a 16-year-old. And are 16-year-olds great at, at great habits? <laughs> not at all. So this is the thing about Christianity. This is kind of what we're called to. Do the difficult thing now because we know the reward that awaits us. We know it's worth doing. But it's difficult. Right? Christians are called to do some very difficult things. I mean, have you ever tried, for example, to love somebody? Even have you have you tried to love somebody that you like? That's like the easiest level of love. But that's challenging. Right? I mean, Sometimes, if you could believe this, sometimes people who choose each other and they choose to get married, they struggle to love each other. Can you imagine? And this is like our central command to love one another. And we struggle to love people that we like. I mean, some people are easy to like, right? I mean, they always have a good attitude. They're upbeat. They're, you know, they're not bringing you down. They're, they're like lifting you up. You just feel better being around them. They say encouraging things to you. They ask you questions that you want to answer. They keep the conversation going. It's just like it's easy to hang out with these people. It's easy to like these people. They're not going to say anything negative about you, even if, you, they, even if they should. We struggle loving those people, but Christians are called to so much more than that, actually. We're called to love people that aren't likable, like easily likable. It's difficult, right? And Christians are taught that it's worth the investment in people. It's worth pouring our lives out on behalf of others. People who, not only do they not deserve our love, but they don't even recognize it when we're loving them. They don't even want our love. They don't want to receive our love. 
who are called to love them anyway. People who are actively trying to get us to not love them. We're called to love them to return their aggression, their oppression, their evil, to return love back to them. So you see, Christianity is not easy at all. In order to really do this thing, we have to be utterly convinced of the reward. Right? To get that 16-year-old to give that $50 to that invisible account, you've, you've got to do so much work to get them to see the million dollars. And they have to find some way to feel it and know it and really believe it and want it in order to give that sacrifice over and over and over again. But this church, well, they got it right. They responded in extraordinary ways. They went through extraordinary suffering in spite of, or because of, sorry, because of the prize, because of what awaited them. They were convinced of the prize. So Paul goes on. He says, as a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. This church has gone viral. TikTok were a thing. Somebody would be doing the Thessalonica dance, faith dance. And people would know about it. <laughs> One example. Uh, stories are ringing out. Right? Because this church has decided to really do it. To really respond. These Christians have decided to be all in. And they're having an incredible, incredible impact. We all know that when we do something negative, something harmful, we know that it has ripple effects. We know that a, a father who is uh, abusive, for example, that that has ripple effects for generations. It's a, a horrible thing. Uh, we could go through a number of other examples of how one person's evil, rebellious actions has a dramatic impact. What we forget, because we so easily gravitate to the negative, and we so easily hold on to those things, what we forget is that when somebody does something for the glory and honor of God, that it has a far greater ripple effect. That every time a Christian decides to step into obedience, whether it's in a relationship with their own child, a relationship with their spouse, a relationship with their coworker, stepping into a difficult obstacle with strong faith, deciding to perse persevere through something, some sort of tragedy, some sort of very difficult work with a great attitude, with a hopeful perspective, every time a Christian decides to love someone 
who is very difficult to love, every time a Christian decides to inconvenience themselves in order to serve somebody in their sphere or outside their sphere, it has a ripple effect. It inspires people. I can tell you, we have some, some inspiring people in this church. Uh, I won't tell you who they are, but in the early service, we had somebody here who, they went on a mission trip, and they, they were moved to do more, and so they started a missions organization, and they spend a lot of time just raising money for children to be educated in a God-honoring situation in a foreign country. And they, they basically have dropped all of their hobbies and their entertainment. They have dropped so many things out of their lives just to pursue funding on behalf of others. We had somebody in the last service who, uh, I, I believe they, they're our top tither in the church. And if you knew who they were, it would blow your mind. Because they're not the wealthiest people in the church. They do not have the job that is a high earning job. And they have like regular life expenses like you and I. It's not like they're a retired multimillionaire, so you would maybe expect that person to give more. This is just somebody who has decided that they're all in. They just don't need the things of this world. And I can tell you that's inspiring to me because I, I struggle greatly with the things of this world. Have you, have you ever shopped before? There's stuff out there. Have you been to a car dealership before? I mean, there's stuff I want badly. Uh, there's a family in our church that that uh, watches foster children or watches children before they go into foster care and hopes that they won't have to go into foster care. And like, just think about for a second what it would mean for you to just start taking random children into your home. Inconvenient, yeah? Inconvenient. Like that would mess up my whole life. It would just wreck everything. I've got a routine, a rhythm. I've got, a, you know, I've got my space. We have a fairly large home, so I have lots of my space. And I've got my schedule. But that would just totally wreck, it would wreck my life. But those folks are all in, and it inspires me to, to think about maybe wrecking my life. And it inspires me to to lead a life that I believe will honor God in everything that I do and the way that I spend my money, the way that I spend my time. It's inspiring. People ask me sometimes, they'll say something like this. Uh, Pastor, you do a lot. I always see you serving other people, uh, which you know I try to kind of manipulate the circumstances so I'm always looking good that way. But So I'm glad they assume that. And then they'll ask, well, what can I do for you? And when I'm just joking around, 
I'll say something like, you know, I, I would enjoy a car wash. Uh, if you want to come over and wash my car, a detail, I really like a clean car, so that'd be great. Uh, and that offer is open to anybody at any time. You can come clean my car. <laughs> but when I'm answering seriously, and I don't know if people take me seriously or not, but when I'm answering seriously, I'll say, I need you to lead an inspiring Christian life. That's what I need from you. Because right? that's, how, that's how I'm going to be at my best. That's how I'm going to do really what God wants me to do. That's how I'm going to be all that God can use me for, is if I see you being responsive to what you're reading in the scriptures, right? The Thessalonians seem to have this see and do relationship with the teachings of the apostle, uh, the apostle, <laughs> with the apostle. They seem to hear stories about Jesus and then just go and, and be like that because they were disciples of Jesus and that's what dominated their life. And so they just, they just seem to have a see it, do it relationship with the truth. If you're like me, you have a see it, analyze for a while, hmm. rationalize a lot, and then, okay, I'm going to respond in this very measured way so that my life doesn't get messed up but I can still respond. Anybody else like that? Well, the reason that the Apostle Paul is so moved by this church is because they're just responding. Love people? Okay. We'll do it. Love people we don't like? Okay. We'll do it. Love people who hate us? Oh. Okay, I guess. Uh, there's a reason that they respond this way. We'll get to that. Uh, Paul goes on to say, For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. Uh, this is a major thing that they did. For us today in our culture and in, in, you know, modern Western culture, uh, we would look back and we would just laugh if we heard of people going to the temple of Artemis in Ephesus and, and like getting on their knees and, and praying for this, this statue to actually do something on their behalf in the world. We would laugh at that. I mean, that's it's ridiculous. This statue has zero power. It's an inanimate object. It's totally ridiculous. But in their day, that was not the case. In their day, the culture, the entire culture, was all about idol worship. This is where you ate, sometimes where you bathed. This is where you had... Sexual experiences, this is where you uh, experienced spiritual life. 
This was everything. And the whole culture did this thing of idol worship. And for you to suddenly say, I don't believe in that stuff. I'm going to separate myself completely from culture. And I'm going to worship an invisible God. That would have blown people's minds. What? Worshiping an invisible God? How would you worship an invisible God when there's a clearly visible God to worship? Why would you do something so strange, so weird? That's crazy. And you're disrupting culture, you're disrupting the political scene, you're disrupting the economy. You're out. You're not in my circle. You're not in my family. You can no longer work here. I'm no longer buying things from you. This was an extraordinary thing that they did in this church to separate themselves from the world. In the United States, I think if we decided to, we could probably have our own just Christian economy. That's, that's the, our situation. So we're in a completely different world. I don't know if we'd have to go to the bartering system or what, but we could have just a Christian economy. This thing that they did, this withdrawing from the world was an extraordinary thing. And news got out. These people are serious. These people are all in. They're in the dumpster. They don't care what happens to their life. They're all in. Uh, and they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Now this is where the church at Thessalonica is very unique. And this is the, the problem that the Apostle Paul is addressing in 1 and 2 Thessalonians for the most part. Right? In other places there's like an actual like a moral problem or they're, like, they're getting communion wrong, they're being disrespectful. Uh, there, there's like crazy disorder in the church. There's like all this different craziness going on that Paul's addressing. The problem with the church at Thessalonica is that they have absolutely reoriented their lives on the expectation of Jesus' return. <laughs> they have so grasped the final reward. They are living exemplary lives that are being told about everywhere. So I want you to think about what would our lives look like? What would your life look like if it was completely oriented around the return of Jesus. Uh, we're going to, starting in the new year, we're going to be going through the book of Revelation and talking through that book. Uh, we'll talk a lot about the end times and what 
the book of Revelation means. Between now and then, I'm going to start teasing you with the idea of what would your life look like if your life was oriented around the expectation of the return of Christ. The sure knowledge of the return of Christ. Right? We'll talk about some of the mysteries given in scriptures, in the scriptures about signs, about how things might possibly go down. But the real thing, the real nugget, the real, the real thing that God would have of us is that we ask this question of ourselves. What would it look like if our lives were completely oriented around the expectation of the return of Christ? So we're just going to go through some things for a second. You can close your eyes if that helps you visualize, but I just want you to think about your life and what it would look like. Let's start with what conversations would you have that you've been afraid to have, that you've been too lazy to have, that you have not been loving enough to have? What conversations would you have? Because you knew that Jesus was going to return, that there was going to be a day of judgment. What conversations would you have? Who would you pursue with urgency? What things would you remove from your life? We get so distracted by trivial things, do we not? By hobbies, different forms of entertainment. We get distracted by career advancement. We get distracted by so many things. I recently had a good friend who turned 91, and so I started thinking about my retirement plan. I was like, oh, wow, I can live to be 91. My retirement plan isn't calculated that far out. So actually, I spoke with this individual. <laughs> he said I would be okay. And that I should, you know, focus up. I'd be okay. Uh, right, we can worry about our retirement plan. We can worry, I mean, so many different things. What would we drop? What would, what would just be just immediately gone if we really knew that Jesus was going to return, like we knew it by the way that we live. It would, just, it would just go away so fast. How would we change how we spend our money? How would we change how we give? How would we change what we do with our time and who we let invade our space? How would our life just be messed up all of a sudden? And how would we be living remarkably different from culture? Some examples of how inspiring it was for this church to live in expectation and preparation for Jesus' return. 
Chapter 2, Paul spent some time just explaining, hey, we came there, we poured ourselves out, and you guys responded. You know, he says that, hey, they actually understood what they were saying as, as being the words of God. And they responded to it. And so, he says in verse 19, After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. Paul is envisioning himself standing before Jesus and saying, look, these guys got it right. They got it right. They responded. They, they actually believed this thing. I mean, you could look at how they reacted when they heard the truth. They saw it and they did it. They heard it and they responded. Later on, Paul says, chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, but now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and sufferings, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. And there's this line. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul is going through some very difficult things. I mean, remember his pattern, right? He goes in, he talks to his fellow Jews at the synagogue. There's mixed reviews. Some people respond positively. Other Jews, you know, they try to drag him out of the city and stone him. Not a super receptive crowd often. Then he goes into the streets, he goes into the marketplace and starts sharing the good news of Christ with the Gentiles. He knows he's going to have mixed reviews. He, know, he, he knows there's going to be some positive response. That it's going to be worth it. But he also knows that he is going to be tortured. Maybe he's going to be lacerated on his back 40 times with a heavy whip. Maybe he's going to be beat up by a mob. Going to get caught in the middle of a riot. He knows suffering is ahead, but he does it anyways. And once he's done with one city, God's asking him to go do it again. And so Paul sees this church in Thessalonica. He sees the response. He sees people actually doing it. And he is inspired. He says, it breathes new life into me. I'm able to do it again. So whatever God might be calling you to do, whatever way in which he might be calling you into obedience, trust that not only will it be God's best for you, but it will be God's best for so many people around you who need to be inspired by your life, right? You are God's gift to the church. Right? If you are... God's masterpiece, his workmanship created to do, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. 
God has created you to inspire. God has given you faith to love people who are unlovable in some particular way that will inspire other people. God has created you to do a cannonball in the pool and to have all kinds of ripple effects. So serve, love, exhaust yourself on behalf of others. Give up the things of this world. Know that this life is temporary. It will be gone in a flash. Give up the things of this world and look forward to our prize. Look forward to the moment of victory. Look forward to the moment of standing before God Almighty, having your sins washed clean because of the work of Christ. That's the prize. And it's worth every effort that God might call us into. It is worth every difficult piece of obedience that God calls us into. It is worth every attempt to reach out, to pursue, to love, to serve. Every time, it is worth it. Let's close in prayer. Uh, Father, I pray for my sake <laughs> that I've inspired our church to lead a life that honors you, to do something different than this culture is doing, which is just to amass more, enjoy more. Father, help us to pour ourselves out. That's a desire for my life. And as you know, I'm inspired by others. So I pray that you would help us be a community of people that live for something beyond this world. That recognize how quickly we fade from this place. And as a result, we pour our lives out as a drink offering to you. Trusting you to use us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we have a few announcements here. If you'd like to volunteer for the Christmas choir, please stand. <laughs> hmm, you guys are listening. Okay, all right. Well, I was just thinking when I saw that announcement for the worship night tonight that that might be a good way to respond to the sermon. <laughs> part of my job is to give you guys guilt trips so there's one we'd love to have you of course if you would please stand Jude 24 and 25 now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen.
All right. Thank you, guys. We'll see you tonight. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks. And this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.